If you want to listen to this episode or any of our episodes ad-free, you can do that now. Head on over to Patreon. Click on the ad-free level. You get all of our bonus shows that you've been hearing so much about. Plus, every single day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, you can listen to this episode or any of our other episodes at the same time, ad-free, over on Patreon. everyone this is david welcome back behind the velvet rope let's just get right into it today because we are joined by the ones and only jake lefferman and Kinez walker hi Thank you for having us what is going on you guys producers of housewife and hustler part two the reckoning welcome thank, thank you so you. much you know, you guys, like, we saw the first one. We saw the second one. You've worked, I mean, Kinez, you've been at Nightline forever. I know you've covered Scandal. Like, Jake, I know you covered OnlyFans. So you guys have had experience in a lot of different topics. Like, just overarchingly, what stood out about the whole Girardi case, like, from working on both of these two? I know that's a very broad, loaded question <laughs> to start with. a big, loaded question, right? Yeah. I think what started it, I think what people naturally gravitate to, right, is like the glitzy sequins and like the kind of reality TV aspect that that Erica brings to the story. But I think what attracted us as journalists is the bigger overarching story that is what happened inside the legal community and how it happened over such a long period of time without anybody knowing. The things that Tom Girardi is accused of doing are incredibly serious. And he's accused of stealing from the very clients he was supposed to be representing. And then the accusation is he took that money and used it to fuel his life, to pay for everything in his life, all the, the luxurious things he was getting, and then potentially to fund the life that his wife, who would later become a reality star, was also living. But I think deep down, it was the investigation style of figuring out how does this happen at the scale that it's accused of happening? over such a long period of time. So it really is beyond like one guy, one firm. It is a much deeper look into a bigger system of failure. Yeah, it's something Harriet Ryan says in the new doc, which is, you know, you might think this is sequins and Real Housewives, but ultimately it's about public accountability and government corruption. So I think that and, really drives in. Were you and the for, first one was yeah. just a the first one was just like a quick look into it. Cause when the first one came out, it was very, very new. It was just hey, this thing has happened. These are the, like the accusations, but there were no criminal charges. The bankruptcies had just started. There was no conservatorship. There were just a lot of accusations, a few lawsuits, and it was kind of just getting people up to speed on what this big implosion was. Now there's so much more to dig into. So I think the new doc really takes a much deeper dive into the big investigations that have happened since then. Is that how the second one came about? You know, is it because like so much has happened since this first one, which seems like yesterday. And then when you look, you're like, oh my God, that was actually a long time ago. Yeah, it was actually years ago. So the new yeah. one really came about almost, I mean, we get the question now about whether there'll be a part three, but when we did the first one, immediately the question was, where's the second one? Immediately. So I think we always knew that there was a potential 
for a second one that there would be more. But I think obviously for a viewer and even for us as journalists, you want there to be significant stuff there. And I think, Jake, when we sat down to talk about, we have sat down several times over the last you know few years to talk about a second one and what it would be and what needs to happen and and all of the things to come together. I think we found like this was the right moment. Yeah, I think like an audience after the first one, we still had a lot of questions because things were still happening in real time. Um, so it was when is the right time? When is it there enough out there that it merits something like this? And I think with Erica sitting down with the victims, uh, with the former clients, um, with everything happening with Tom Girardi in court related to the competency hearing, this felt like the perfect time to to revisit something and that there was enough fresh information that it's, you know, worth an audience's time. Were you guys familiar like with Tom Girardi before this and like, you know, as journalists, as producers on this, like, where do you start? Like, there's so much, like, obviously the LA Times article was like a big thing that came out that kind of really laid it out for everyone. But like, where do you start? There's so much info out there. It really does. I think like for us, like with most people, it starts with the LA Times. The LA Times, this is, this is their, this is their community, right? I mean, they report on national and international issues, but this one was a very local kind of story for them in the sense that he is a very famous LA attorney. And while he's done stuff across the country and around the world that is really high profile, um, for them, this is like right in their backyard. So they, I think, were obviously onto it sooner than when they, you know, when it when their article went out. But I think for the rest of us, it really was that article that got everybody kind of pipped to it. Most people, I think, were really only familiar with Tom Girardi in a broad sense in other parts of the country than Los Angeles because he would make appearances on Real Housewives. You know, he would be there with Erica. I mean, she started what she got on the show in 2016 and you would see glimpses and you knew he was her very successful legal husband. And they, of course, would bring up Aaron Brockovich, the case that he, you know, ultimately won. And I think that's where kind of like, the beginning of it goes. But once you have just the beginning, then we start diving in. And then it becomes about getting in contact with the people who are really at the center of this. And for us, it really started with the Rue Gomez family. And that was um, that was a big jump in. So uh, Kathy and Joe Rue Gomez and his sister, Jamie, and um, Kimberly Archie, they were kind of like the very first ones we got in with. And then it really just spread out from there. And I think for us, a victim-centered approach has always kind of been at the heart of this because you want to see and hear from the people who you read about, you know, and and beyond that, the other people who are impacted. So that was a huge part for us was making sure that it stayed focused on the people that had potentially been very wrong. Mm -hmm. Do you, what do you think has changed the most from like the first one to this one? And like, do you think like it's the public's perception? You know, like I think, Erica was more a part of this one. Like, do you think the public's perception of Erica has changed? And like, what do you think has changed, I guess, the most from the first one to other than the obvious just things which have happened? I think for us and what we found really compelling, you know, the first one really was focused on the rise and fall of Tom as a as a man and and Girardi Keese as a firm. Um, and it was happening as, you know, those, those allegations were coming out that you know, maybe he had defrauded the clients that he swore to protect. This one really is focused on, okay, that story is interesting for a few weeks, but what are the larger forces at play that, you know, allowed him to get away with his alleged crimes as long as he did? 
So for us, it was looking at the State Bar of California, building on the reporting from Matt and Harriet from the LA Times, looking at his relationship with politicians and other people in power in Los Angeles and California and beyond, um, and and really seeing the structures that allowed something like this to go on as long as it did. And, and if the crimes are true, to, allowed him to hide in plain sight for as long as he did. So I think for for us, that that was something that felt different and felt like something really meaty that you could explore. On the Erica front, I think many things have probably picked up or changed since then, because in the beginning, again, the first one came out, it was a lot of accusation and a few lawsuits, but there a lot hadn't developed. There was a lot of like rumor and I think like, oh, questions about who knew what, when, where and how. I think because of the last several years, the investigations that have happened, the bankruptcy and how open they've been with all of the documents that have had to come out of that. And there still remain a lot of questions. But I think what allows us to dive deeper also into Erica in the second round is there has been more paperwork. You know, the the bankruptcy is going after her for a certain amount of money. We know on there's a professional, there's a personal. She's been obviously, when the first one came out, it was right as they were launching the season where she would have to address it but it really wasn't an issue when the first when the dot came out it came out early enough in the season it wasn't really a topic yet so all of that has kind of snowballed since then all the things she said on the show the things that she's accused of saying on the show um and i think one of the big things was that erica's team agreed to sit down for this one so you get not just kind of those developments over time, but you get her team's response to a lot of that stuff. And I think that's distinctly what made it different. Uh, and Jake really, he was there on site the day that we sat down with Erica's team. Yeah, and they, and they were very open. I think, um, you know, as Kness said, I think getting that perspective in was important to us. Um, and I, you know, we sit down with Jim Wilkes, who's been a longtime friend of the Girardis and can really speak to how, um, you know, how it's been for Erica over the last few years. Um, and we also talked to Evan Borges, her attorney, who, you know, um, you, you know, is very, very upfront. He had a lot of the same questions that the audience did um, and, and that people watching Bravo did um, and directly asked her. And um, so I think fans will be surprised and find all of that really interesting in that perspective. And you know, people are going to like, you know, this, David, people are going to be so interested, I think, particularly in Jim Wilkes. I mean, People have seen them together. They've been photographed together. I think finding out the background of their friendship, their connection over time, how he's known Tom, the kinds of things they did together. I think a lot of that is like fans are just going to kind of, they're going to eat that up. It's going to be something that they, those are questions that they've asked before. They kind of sort of have heard things, but to actually hear it from him. And I think especially in Evan's case, to acknowledge other things about Erica, things that she said on TV, they're going to, I think that stuff is going to be very, in some cases, surprising to an audience or to a viewer that's been watching her on TV. But I think they're also, they're going to find it enlightening and probably in many cases, just really interesting. I'll admit it. As important as it is for me to eat healthy and put the right nutrients into my body and hydrate, I'm really not great at it. I'm always on the go. I'm never making that a priority and I'm always hungry. This was a real problem until I discovered 310 Nutrition. I love 310 Nutrition's water hydrators. You just add them to water and they make your water taste so much better. They also have refreshing lemonade mixes. My personal favorite, they're all in one shakes. I love their caramel sundae, their vanilla cake, the shamrock cream. I drink one of these shakes and it totally satisfies my hunger. 
They're low in fat and low carbs, which I love. They also satisfy my carb craving. But don't take my word for it. Right now, 310 is celebrating a new year of goals with code VELVETROPE and giving our listeners 50% off up to $100 off your first order. With so many sample packs, new products, it's really fun and it's easy to put together an order or start a subscription on products you know you'll use. Go to 310nutrition.com and use the code VELVETROPE right now for 50% up to $100 for your first order. That's 310nutrition.com and use code VELVETROPE. You guys know I've been so honest with you about my weight loss over the past few months. Look, I've struggled with my weight my whole life. There's so many diet plans that say, do this, don't do that. And none of them have ever worked for me. That is until Noom. Noom realizes that with weight, one size does not fit all. They take into account each person's individual needs. Noom builds personal plans that takes your specific dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs into account, and then they build a plan that works for you. Noom uses a psychology-based approach. They focus on the why. They believe that losing weight starts with your brain, so they focus on why haven't you been able to lose weight. They really change the way you think about food. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Has anyone else had major drama in hiring for their business out there? How great does it feel to finally find the right qualified candidate and close out a job search? But what if I told you you get rid of the job search and just match? You can with Indeed. Indeed is a great matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. I was able to hire the last ad sale rep that I hired within such a short period of time. Before Indeed, this would have taken me days and weeks, sometimes even months. Do you know that in the minute I've basically just been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed, according to Indeed data worldwide? 23 hires. Right now, listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash velvet. Just go to Indeed.com slash velvet right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash velvet. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I would agree. Was there always like, was that always a plan? Like, okay, let's try to get Erica. Let's try to get her team. Or did it just kind of happen through like her agreeing to meet with the victims? And you're like, wait a second, let's pick up cameras. This is like a gold mine. This is great. I mean, we're journalists, so of course we want to talk to, of course we want to talk to Erica. Of course we want to talk to her team. Um, obviously, she's a star on a on a on a TV show, and that comes with a certain amount of rules. And so we always know that the you know the prospect of getting Erica could potentially be difficult. Um, but she does appear in the doc. She does talk uh, after that victim meeting, so you get to hear from her there. But I think her team also understood how important it was to make sure that that they were getting out there because I think people have noticed that she's taken kind of a different approach here in the last like probably six months to a year and I think that that shows in them thinking understanding that it was important for them to take part in this I would think so I mean I think that's like you said there's certain things that go along with getting Erica just did you ever like did you guys think it was going to happen I mean with her team because it's a 
I mean, a lot of people say no. I think there's a certain amount of like cautious optimists, right? Like you go, after, we go after every, every booking, every interview with a good amount of cautious optimism. You want people to say yes. You want them to be able to sit down, trust that they're going to be able to ask questions, answer questions, and, and take part in a way that feels good and authentic to them. And uh, I think it was a happy surprise when they said yes, but I think we go after even the the most difficult or toughest booking that you can think about. We go after it with a lot of cautious optimism. And do you think, you know, cause you, I think you mentioned this Jake or one of you did, you know, like Erica's a TV star. So there's a lot of the sensationalism, like look as a society, we're drawn to that, but right. Like you wanted a victim focus, a victim centered story, because that is, we hear about like Joe, Rugones and you know Kimberly Archie like do you like was that hard and like was that a conscious effort like not to have that loss because it starts you know with her meeting the victims and you're all and then I think to me like that scene where like Joe is getting in the bath and he's saying like you know it takes my pain from like an eight to a one or eight to a three you're like yes let's let's come back to that like I thought that was just like a yeah okay you know, like I, I could see people just like it's human nature, right? To get lost in the sensationalism of the Aaron Brockovich lawyer and Eric on Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. And you're like, oh, wait a second. Here we go. I And I think we're proud that 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 was the focus of the first one and maintains a through line um, in this one. And, you know, it's one thing to read lawsuits and read bar complaints and um, even read newspaper articles about this. But to hear from a former client about what they went through or to hear from Danny Barnes, who said, you know, he went to the State Bar of California time and again to make complaints. Um, and, you know, he feels that it fell on deaf ears. To hear that from a former client themselves, I think, is striking. Um, and we wanted to make sure we hit that balance. You know, we still want to get into the larger structure and the larger things. We want to tell the, you know, the story of that conversation between Erica and the former clients. But we also want to make sure that their stories were top of mind. And I hope we achieved that. It's powerful, I think, in ways, especially in a visual medium, when you see it in a documentary or you see it on TV, to see something that, again, that you've maybe read or heard about. But it makes it, I think, a lot more relatable. I think a lot of people, even the people who love and uh, and love to watch the Beverly Hills, you know, housewives do the things that they do in a glamorous way, can definitely relate to the people that we talk to, to the victims, whether it's, you know, Danny or Joe or Josie. I think they understand and can relate to those lifestyles because it's it's close enough to what we all live. But yeah, to be able to like hear it from them, to see them, I think is very, very powerful. Did you guys watch Housewives? Like, are you Bravo fans having nothing to do with this? You're a journalist, you have a lot going on. Just curious. You know, our other producer, Katie, is a devout Housewives fan. She is like our Bravo reality star go-to encyclopedia. Um, Kinez and I dabble and make sure we do our homework and watch. Um, but you know, but Katie really is the number one. <laughs> she is. I mean, I, I watched the first, you know, seasons of housewives when they very first came out. So, you know, I'd watched Orange County and New York and Atlanta, uh, New Jersey and stuff like that. But, you know, like, I think over time, like you, you fall off, you find different things to watch. Um, but yeah, dabbling here or there. I remember for the first one, I did go back and I watched, I think every episode from somewhere and see, you know, like probably the beginning of season six on, um, you know, and I think everybody's pulled into different things. I think with Jen Shaw, I have seen a lot of Salt Lake City now, you know, you get pulled into a, a lot of shows over time or a lot of reality, especially as you're continuing to 
to do your research and to make sure that you know what you're talking about. Right. I worked on the Randall scandal, so I had to go back and, you know, get a primer on Vanderpump and same for Scandaval, yeah. So Scandaval, I mean, and speaking of Jen Shaw and all of the aforementioned, like, do you see just having been journalists and producers having worked on a bunch of these, like, do you see a common theme, like a personality trait amongst like white collar criminals like Tom, like just, you know, and what is it? Like, I'm just curious as to your opinion. I've had lawyers on and I've talked about this type of stuff before, like, is it, you know, I'm smarter than the next person? Like what I'm doing is okay. Like it's not really hurting anyone. Is it, and I don't really know if you have an answer. Is it like, you know, this is bad, but I'll get away with it. Like, do you see a personal, like a psychological per personality trait that's a common theme? I don't think that that we probably have an in-depth experience or expertise enough to go after that ourselves. I do know that in the Scandaval episode that we did, that we, you know, we've talked about in the past, that we did for uh, Impact by Nightline, we did have an expert come in and talk about some of that stuff, uh, about whether or not they are seeing any personality traits. And so far, I think it's still a big outstanding question as things continue to develop over reality TV over time. So, but I think from a from our POV, I don't know that we, we have the expertise to sit down and talk about that. Yeah, I just, I wasn't sure. Do you, like, as producers, when you go into this, obviously, I assume your goal is to, you know, tell a story and tell, like, a fair and, like, you know, not biased in one way or another, but then does that get hard? You know, like, when you see someone like Joe Gomez, like, in the bath, you know, taking the ice bath and, you know, like, do you find yourselves, like, getting personally and emotionally tied into this stuff? I think, I mean, part of our profession gets us into all kinds of situations. And I think whether that is something where you're doing reporting on the Middle East or whether you're doing reporting on Hollywood, yeah. you do, I think, in a, in, in a situation or in a scene, you end up working with the people that you work with over time. And of course you develop that. But when we come back to start putting a story together, the approach that, that in that case, it doesn't change, you know, because we as journalists are loyal to the truth or what can be, what can be shown. And in many cases, and I think especially in a case like this, where we're in the middle of the story, we're not at the end of the story, you end up having to be kind of like loyal to all of it because there's not necessarily a proven set of facts yet, not on everything. And so I think that leaves so much of it up in the air that we can only give you what there actually is. And especially in this case right now, there's still a lot of questions and not a lot of answers. But I think we are human beings like everybody else. So of course we're impacted when those, when the people sit down and they tell us their stories. Um, and you'll see in this doc, there are a lot of emotions on display. There are heavy emotions, whether it's, you know, Danny recounting what had happened to him over decades. It's being able to see Joe and how he has an incredible outlook on life, despite all of the things that's happened to him. Um, Similarly with Josie, but I think the interview that probably packs a huge punch in this one is the Marco Marco interview, where we sit down with Marco Moranti and Chris Pasila. Uh, and that, you know, those are those are incredibly powerful and impact, you know, driven interviews. And I think that we are human like everybody else, but when we come back to do the work, it's about them. And it's a big team. I mean, there's multiple, you know, producers. We're having conversations, we're talking to um, you know, we go through a lot of rounds of vetting and have these conversations to make sure that, yeah, the truth is centered, that these stories are fair, that we're looking at all perspective. Cause that, 
it, it's super critical to all of our projects. Mm-hmm. I drink a ton of water every day to stay healthy. And if you think I drink tap water, tap water freaks me out. And do you know that according to the Environmental Working Group, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in its tap water? And that's why I use AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. What does that mean? It means that it removes 15 times more contaminants than the ordinary pitcher filters. They have purifiers for every type of home, from installation-free countertop purifiers, that's the one I have, to higher capacity under-sink options. They even have a Wi-Fi connected purifier. How cool is that? And they're really affordable and long-lasting. AquaTrue filters last from six months to two years. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and even makes a great gift. Today, my listeners get 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. Go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter code VELVET at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue water purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use code VELVET. V-E-L-V-E-T. Has anything ever held you guys back in your fitness journey? What's always held me back is I felt like I was just working out and I was in this on my own and it was very unmotivating and no one was checking on me. And then I always quit. That is until I discovered Peloton. Peloton supports and guides members from day one. Whether you're a beginner or you're an advanced rider, Peloton is there for you. They'll show you the basics. And what I love is they help you take the guesswork out of your workout and they encourage you to build from there. It's a true partnership. Also, if you have a short attention span like me, I love Peloton because you can watch your favorite TV shows. Hello, Real Housewives. And they have great live DJ rides and artist-themed ones. Wherever you're starting, get moving with a Peloton bike or Bike Plus rental at www.onepeloton.com bike slash rentals. Terms apply. That's www.onepeloton.com bike slash rentals. And yes, terms do apply. Yeah, the Marco Marco stuff, when I was watching it, I was like talking about emotions. I mean, Chris Basilla, like he talks about like his father passed away, his brother. That's when he was like, you know, still incarcerated or still under the legal, you know, it's still going on. And he didn't know if they would ever realize that he would get out of this and see the other side. I'm like, this is very emotional right here. Yeah, I think Chris gives a really good emotional voice to what it's like to be under indictment, to have been charged with a crime. And while he, for those years, those five years that he was waiting out the indictment before the charges were dropped, he didn't, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't behind bars. He, but he was living a life that felt very, to him, very constricted, you know, that he, yeah, he couldn't travel without court approval. He couldn't, um, you know, there, there are a lot of things he talks about being denied, you know, having to walk away from an adoption that he and his husband had worked on. But yes, he had family members who passed on and how just, you know, it was the trauma that came with that for him. And I think that was a part of why he decided to be public is why he decided to sit down and give the interview. Did you learn anything specific about Tom, you know, in this one, as opposed to the first one that kind of shocked you, that stood out to you? I mean, like you are a journalist, you've worked on a lot of things. Did anything shock you particularly about Tom that you learned from this one? I mean, I think it was out there, but, you know, I think it's surprising um, and revealing to see how close he was to politicians and people in power to see that he was this, you know, a major donor and, and a mover and shaker in LA circles. We knew that that was out there, but I think that's something that we put forward in this one and build on the LA Times reporting about. 
Um, the bar was a big one for me. I think that we had gotten like over time, you know, like the bar had given us a statement on the first one where they very, you know, like kind of in a very simple short statement, acknowledge that they've made mistakes. And then I think what we proceeded to learn over the next few years, and really, I think the LA Times and, and a few other outlets have really pushed pushed them on this, which is what helped make it public, was what their own investigations revealed, just how enmeshed in the bar he was and how much power he wielded. And I think that was really particularly one of the things that came out that was the most, I think, powerful across time. And the fact that this was not something that just came up in 2020, um, that you know we talk about and the LA Times reporting talks about, that these complaints go back to the 1980s. We're talking about four decades of, you know, alleged uh, behavior that didn't line up. Yeah, no, I don't practice anymore, but I'm a lawyer. So it's like, right, like you can't even imagine one complaint against you. I think from in this documentary, it was like 200 we learned. They had 200 complaints. That to me is insane too. And like the whole Tom Layton, and I mean, he was, you know, turning a blind eye and the million dollars and the credit card. It's that's when you're like, this was really elaborate and involves so many different agencies. And the bar stuff really kind of shocked me too, right? Because like, it's one thing, like I understand there's greed and there's Napoleon complex, whatever you want to call it and money. But then when you're like, man, like there's all these organizations that are kind of involved. They're like, wow, this thing is huge. And And again, I think that was the, Oh, I was gonna say that was the big thrust of what we wanted to look at was this idea that it wasn't just one guy who at some point had been accused of doing something bad. It's that it related to such a big system and whether or not the stuff in that system has been fixed so that it can't happen again. And I think that's a, a you know, a very big question. Yeah, I was going to say, as an attorney, you know, and whenever we talk to attorneys, they're like, rule number one is you do not mess with client settlement funds. Like that is a big no, no. And I think it's, you know, it's like kind of day one. It was so surprising every time attorneys hear about this. This is um, I think that was something that shocks a lot of people because it really is. Day, you know, day number one of law school kind of stuff. Like yeah. I remember Emily, I sat down with Emily D. Baker and Emily said she was like, she goes, I was never in client settlement stuff. I never did plaintiff's law. I never had money coming in. She goes, and there would be times when I was like, oh my gosh, has something happened? She goes, they beat it into you in school. She goes to the point that it's just, it it's surprising. And that, yeah, one accusation like that would typically get a lawyer investigated, potentially suspended, maybe disbarred, a single one. And yeah, he had more than 200 by the time he was suspended and, you know, and disbarred. Right. And that it went on for just like you said, Jake, like it started in the 80s and just like this had been going on forever. You're like, how... You know, it makes you wonder, like, you know, and it's really neither here nor there, but like, okay, so if Erica wasn't on Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, if he wasn't on, like, would we be here? Would we have a housewife and hustler? It's still a very interesting story, right? We have documentaries all the time about people that are not in the public eye, but it does make you wonder, which is neither here nor there, because we have two and they're both great, but would we be here? Would we have had this? It's the benefit of having a free media, of having, of having a you know, a free press in this country is that some of what we do is putting pressure on the systems of power in order to make sure that whether that means that the oversight is actually oversight. But I do think that in some cases, the public being aware of what's going on is and can be the only thing that keeps the system in check. 
Um, and I think journalism plays a really great role in that, which is why we're very proud that this has come out under a collaboration with two really big journalism companies to have ABC News and to have the LA Times working together is a great synergy moment. But you also then know that the reporting is based in journalism and that that is a huge, huge, important thing, especially when you're looking at something of this level of this systemic kind of potential failure. I think, you know, the Real Housewives of it, the reality television side certainly expands the audience and maybe the interest. But I do think the story um, and the alleged, you know, the allegations against Tom are so wild and so, um, it, you know, it goes so deep in terms of kind of the, the structure that supported him. I would like to think there's there would be a documentary, you know, even without some of the reality television component, because he was a major name in law, a major name across the country, cases all over the world. Um, so I think it does rise to that level. I just moved into a new apartment in New York City. And every time I move, I love, it's so cathartic. I clean out my closets and get rid of so much stuff that's out of style. But all the stuff I got from Quince, those were all keepers. The reason is because Quince creates timeless, elegant fashions that last for way more than one season. This stuff never goes out of style. I just got the coolest 100% leather black biker motorcycle jacket from Quince. 100% leather for $199. That's crazy. All of Quince's items are 50 to 80% less than similar brands because they cut out the middleman and they pass the savings right on to us. They have Mongolian cashmere sweaters from $59, so much other stuff. So upgrade your closet with Quince. Go to quince.com slash velvet rope for free shipping and 365 day returns on your order. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash velvet rope to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash velvet rope. Right. And I think to your point, Kinez, like, I think because it's rooted in journalism, that's why this documentary is so... Because look, if it wasn't and it was on like some other network, it would just be tabloid fodder, which would be routed in truths, right? But I think, you know, you've been at Nightline, you guys... Like, I think that's what lends legitimacy to this. And I think why people are flocking to it so much. I appreciate it. It does. I mean, like people seem to... Yeah, people seem to be genuinely interested... I think that's what struck us maybe after the first one, Jake, and you you can probably like, talk about this too, but after the first one, and I think even more so at the second, like when we released the first one, we knew that people would be interested because they'd shown interest, you know, online about, you know, whether you're looking in the comments on something or whether you're checking social media, we knew that people were interested because obviously Erica was involved, you know, Erica had been, had been linked to the story, you know, she had been linked to lawsuits. But I think what we were the most surprised by from the first one was just how much people were really interested in what was what was going on beyond Eric, what right. was happening that was, again, past all the glitz and the glamour behind the velvet rope, so to speak. What is actually happening when you get to the nitty gritty of what the accusations are? And I think even on this second one, the response so far has been that people really want to dive into all the details. They want to know what's going on with the bar. They want to know what's going on with the bankruptcy. They want all that information beyond even just the surface stuff. And I also think it just helps because like I said, there is so much out there, you know, not to like insult any audience, but I just think it helps when it's all pulled together in a nice 
hour and a half documentary of like, okay, well that I didn't understand like that, but now I learned something. Well, you know that, I mean, like, obviously you do this a lot and there are some, there are great places, especially inside of the social media sphere and, and podcasting where you guys break down everything as it's happening. But yeah, to see it like taken and put kind of together in one place, I think gives people the ability to look at the kind of like the big scope all at once in a way that we're so used to getting information a little bit as it happens that kind of helps pull it all together and you get the big, big picture. Did you guys learn anything about Erica from this second one? I think the relationship with with Jim and and Evan being, you know, sitting down, Evan Borges sitting down and talking to us about kind of like the behind the scenes, behind the scenes, because obviously she's on a reality TV show. They do show some of this stuff, but very seldom do you get to see her legal team sit down and talk about stuff that they have not talked about to date. And I think really getting in like how they break down what the last couple of years have been like and all the things that they're doing behind the scenes, I think is really fascinating stuff. Yeah, I, I exactly. I think it's the perspective of what the last few years have been like for her through the eyes of people who are with her and close to her. Right. Do you, right. Because I mean, they, you know, some of the things they said were like, you're like, okay, I could see that in a different light at this point. Jim talks about the money. He talks about how and who helped her get out of the marriage at the time uh, and how they talk about the steps that were taken, kind of the legal fights that they're facing, their approach to everything. Again, I think for people who are interested, it's, it's genuinely something you can't see anyplace else. And I think the meeting with the former clients is a side of Erica, maybe that people will find surprising and or refreshing. You know, it's it's not on the reality show. It it yes, there were moments that were tense and uncomfortable, but she was very open and receptive to questions. Um, you know, it, it it seemed to me to be sort of a, a side of her we hadn't seen. Did you Love feel? definitely different you know what I mean love it love her or hate her viewers come in with their own thoughts it's interesting to see how they leave it's you know fascinating to see what they take away from that meeting in a different way than maybe what we see when we watch it or even how the victims felt with, who were in the room so it's very uh it's interesting to see how people come in and come out of that mm-hmm have you seen a lot of, cause right. Like, I mean, and are you shocked at like the Bravo fandom? I mean, they have their favorite housewives. I mean, there are a certain group of people that could watch this over and over, listen to the two of you here today. And they either hate Erica or love her. And there's nothing any of us are going to say that will ever change that. But then there's a lot of other people that watch and observe and do come out of it differently. Like, are you shocked at like the Bravo fandom, the Bravo web pages, like, re- like you said, reading comments and are you shocked at all of this? Maybe I'm not. not. I mean, I think this is an audience that really watches. It's a smart audience. It's an audience that does its homework. Um, they're like private investigators. There's, they're always a step ahead. So, um, no, I'm, I'm not surprised. I think there's a real, real love of this kind of content. Um, and like I said, a smart audience. Really smart audience. Like reality TV can get a really bad rap. You know what I mean? But the people who sit down and watch these shows aren't just interested always in what's happening directly on the screen. And that's why I think the reality community online is as big and deep as it is. And yeah, they dive deep. So I don't think, especially after the first one, and knowing as many big reality TV fans as we do, um, who have worked with us on this project and other ones, 
I don't think it's surprising anymore, but it is really interesting to watch how they watch the documentary. Because again, they're not just interested in the reality TV of it. They're interested in every single piece of it. And I think our hope was to make a documentary where if you've been following this from day one and you know all the ins and outs of Real Housewives, you take something new away or find interesting perspective. But also if you're coming to this fresh and you don't know you know, the story of Tom, you know, that there, there's something for you too. And it's still accessible to someone who's sitting with this for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. And I know a lot of like, I know Emily D. Baker really well. Like I, I knew a lot of it, but I took like the whole Marco Marco stuff, even though I've read it, I took away, like I learned a lot from that. Like, I don't think I knew the full extent of all of that until I watched this. It seems to be a, a big one. That's a, it's a, it's a big part of the doc that people are super interested in. And I mean, again, from every perspective, because we don't just have Chris and Marco, we actually do talk to Erica's team about this specific lawsuit and what they think of it. And I think that is, you know, it's it's a little extra step further. But again, seeing people, hearing people, the impact of that, I think, is huge. Like you said, you you've read about it. And that interview was incredibly long and very emotional. And there is so much that came out in it. Um but you only have so much time. What what is there something that stands out that to that point is on the cutting room floor that is just not in this something that was like a hard decision of like, right, we only have so much time. We all have to edit in. You know, I wish we could have just got this one last thing in there. Everything I, is precious. A lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of long and hard conversations with the team and polite fights between us uh, and everyone care, you know, is drawn to different things or there's moments that you like that are funny or um, heartfelt and. Um... Or there's just that moment when you realize like, we can't put everything in. It would be hours and hours and hours of footage. So it, they, they, they're hard conversations, but again, when you work with as good a team as we work with, like you can't have those conversations with just anybody, but we can have them with each other, which is really good. But no, the cut down process is always the most difficult of every project. It's always like, what part do you cut now in order to make it a link that a viewer can watch and is interested in watching? Um, it's brutal. But the essential stuff is all there. It is brutal, but the essential stuff is there. It's hard to edit stuff out, right? I mean, now granted, if you did leave it all and you had like a 10 part series, I guarantee you everyone listening to this would watch all 10 parts. But... We might. We did joke about that. There's always the joke. When's the next part? When's the next part? So we kind of always like have a joke. We know the appetite is there, but we also we want to give people stuff now so that they're not, you know, stuck waiting and waiting and waiting. So, yeah. Did you feel, you know, because you talked, we talked a little bit about like that scene, like where we open and where Erica is meeting the victims, and like you know, we heard that around the world when it happened, and people were like, "Oh my god, I can't believe this is happening." And I know Kimberly Archie really well, like. Did you feel like being a part of that, watching it, like, did you feel that was real? You know, like a lot of people at the time said, you know, even in watching this are like, you know, well, there's cameras there. Of course, you're meeting the victims now. And, you know, like, look, sometimes you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. Like I said, Erica can do no right with certain people. But like, did you feel the emotion? Did you feel the authenticity in that scene, like from Erica? Different because we also know how it all came about, too. Like, I mean you know, behind the scenes, obviously, that's probably, I would say, and Jake, we can, 
I think this would be a pretty easy thing to say, but that was probably the biggest roll of the dice was knowing, you know, not knowing whether or not Erica would be able to show up for something like that. You know what I mean? And it came together really quickly. Not that I think there hadn't been potentially other tries in the past, but nothing that had ever come close to the possibility of it really ever happening. And I think what you see in the film is that even the people who were there were surprised. So, I mean, they were there for an event. Um, and then the cameras show up and you're kind of like, it may or it may not happen. So I think the the kind of surprise that you see a little bit in the room makes it genuine. But I do think that, yeah, there's always the complication and we deal with this because we work in TV. You hope that people will forget the cameras are around. You hope. And I think it's what Kines said earlier. People come to the project with their own, you know, kind of preconceived notions and maybe have a side. I, I think that might color how someone watches, but, um, you know, I think that's up to the viewer, whether how they want to take that meeting. Right. And as producers, it's not really your job to influence it. It's just to, like you said, stay, tr stay close to the truth and present it or, and you yeah. want, I mean, isn't that, don't you feel like it's a job well done when there are so many sides and people can watch a scene and really have differences of opinions? Yes, absolutely. Genuinely. Yes. In, in a lot of the comments I saw online, just quickly, like in this, I didn't really delve into it because I don't really read a lot of the comments either, but a lot of people, the Marco Marco, to me, it stood out of like, people were sympathetic towards Erica from watching this more so. And then I think that is when they're like, yeah, no, just for, I mean, just not even asking you to comment, just saying like that, that the Marco Marco scene to me was like people from the comments were like, we were just starting to feel for Erica and this and that and the big times. And they're like, yeah, no, this, this was what, so, I mean, that's right. That's what you kind of want to do. Present all the sides. Yeah. You present all of the sides. And again, people take away, they, they're going to come in with something and then they're going to walk away with something, whether that idea changes is really hopefully just based on the people that they're meeting and the stories that they're, they're getting. And like you said, because there are so many different perspectives, there is a part of us that knows that we're doing our job. Um, the Marco Marco thing has been a huge, a huge part of it on this one. And I think in part, it's because they haven't really been out there. They have only spoken to the LA Times and that's it. You know what I mean? So if you want this perspective, if you want to see that part of the story, if you want to hear from Chris himself, I think this is where you have to come to do it. Um, and it is, it is a very powerful back and forth, I think, on both sides of the story. So I think it's one of those places that people are reacting to really well. We're also like, People love Danny Barnes and it's, again, a perspective they haven't seen a ton of, which is taking us back all those decades on the accusations against Tom. Um, and I think those are like, you know, seeing that stuff and seeing how it works out. But yeah, the Marco Marco stuff has, has appeared to be, you know, very impactful coming out of this thing. But it's not the only thing, but it is, you know, it, ha it, has, it has garnered a lot of chatter. What was it like, you know, you've heard so much about like Gerardi Keese, like walking the halls, like now we actually see this, you know, we see blood on the walls and we see like, there you are. We see the new owners talking about MTV Cribs as he's taking us on a tour. Like, what was it like to like film inside Gerardi Keese? It's something that we've wanted to, we've been trying to get into the office for years. We tried for the first one and it didn't work out. Um so for this one, I think it was a big moment for us. It was fascinating. Uh, you know, you, we've driven by that office many times. We've seen photos from inside. Um, but to go in and see 
it really is, as they describe, it's sort of this opulent, you know, beautiful office with these columns and it's very stately. Um, but there is an eeriness given, you know, if everything that happened is true, it, there was an eeriness you felt of um, this was a place people went to get help. Um, and for some clients, it didn't, it, it was the opposite experience. I think Kimberly described that very well. This was a place that was supposed to help people and it hurt them. Because I, it had, yeah, it has a sort of haunted value to it. And the place is huge. It is a massive, uh, like kind of two set of buildings. Um, and he really did take us through like every part of it. It's not just the parts that you, that are above ground that you see. There's a whole section below ground, you know, where you see where they used to keep all of the files together. There's so many different spaces. There's a war room. I mean, there's all of this stuff. And um, Gary Dordick, who is the attorney who now owns the property, um, Jake was the one who actually, he, he, you know, good time, good timing, good chemistry got us in uh, just in a, in a really kind of like good moment. But Gary, it's not his only office. So a lot of it right now is still very empty. And it does have that kind of like you almost could feel what it, how loud it would be or how how busy it would be if the place was crammed like it probably was under Girardi where all those desks were filled and all the offices had attorneys in them and every level of the place was just churning with people and all the cases that came in and out of that, that place. There is a sort of haunted feeling to the building. And I think Gary talked about, you know, he watched The First Housewife and it's very familiar, you know, was familiar with Girardi as this force in, in LA law. And I think he speaks to something a lot of lawyers told us of, you know, what he did brought a, a lot of shame on the profession. Um, and I think for a lot of attorneys, it's about standing up and reminding people that, you know, this was just one person and he doesn't speak for an industry. So he's trying to, I think that was part of why he wanted to talk and buy the building. And, you know, he talks about wanting to bring honor and integrity back to the space. When he got there, he talks a lot about this. A lot of the stuff was still there. I mean, like, yeah, all the furnishings, but the awards and like all this other stuff, it's just stuff everywhere. And so he has had a colossal task in kind of like cleaning out the building and getting rid of a lot of the stuff that was in there. That's been, uh, he talked, he talked about that. That was probably one of the things that probably hit the cutting room floor. I mean, we could have, it felt like you could have stayed in there and, and, and done a lot inside the building, but that was a, it was it was a, a very interesting day that we got to spend kind of walking the halls of the former Girardi Keys. Well, I know, like you mentioned in the beginning, you were asked this many times already, but I mean, what is up with part three? I mean, we we end and we see, you know, Erica, you know, promise things to the victims that day that she would help them, you know, and then we see that like, you know, the screen where it says she's not really contacted the victims since then. Now we have Tom's competent to stand trial, which is happening in May. Seems like there's a lot that's un, unwrapped up for, it's like laying it out for you for a part three here. You know, only time will tell. I, I think the story, as you said, it's we're right in the middle of it. It's not the end, it's far from over. Uh, so we'll see. I mean, certainly Kinez and Katie and I will continue to follow the latest and we'll see what happens. And ABC and Nightline, I mean, we've been, you know, ABC, we've been following all of this and and we report on it even when we're not doing documentaries about it. So 
there will always be coverage. But yes, as far as the the part three, the answer is back where we were after we finished part one and people were asking about part two. It's like to be to be continued. What about, you know, I met you when you covered Scandal. I mean, I was in the house. I, I was in the Randall scandal. Like, what about all this other stuff? You know, to Shaw Shocker, like anything else we might see a part two on? Anything else you guys are working on in the Bravoverse? There's a lot still going on in the Bravoverse that maybe could be covered. I think reality TV is always going to be potentially a rich area to mine when it comes to stories, because these are people who are going on TV to talk is, you know, in a world of reality. So potentially there's always going to be fodder there. I mean, it people who work in the social media sphere and watch reality TV, it feels like they're talking about something every other day. But of course, when it rises, we will uh, we'll be reporting on it as well. Yeah. And these are the kind of stories we look for at ABC News Studios. It's sort of what's in the cultural zeitgeist? What are people talking about? But then, you know, what seems like it's poppy on the surface, but we can just go a little bit deeper and there's a larger story there. That's kind of what we look for. This, you might think it's one thing, you might think it's sequins and housewives, but it's really this large story about accountability. So we're always always in looking for stuff like that. Final two questions as we wrap up. Does anything shock you guys? Like, I mean, not even about Tom and Erica and all this, just like in general, because of what you do and you've covered so many different stories, like, you know, at ABC News, they're having nothing to do with reality TV. Like, do you guys have a shock value anymore when you start looking into some of these things that you cover? I think the day that we don't is probably the day we don't need to do this anymore. So, okay. n- yes, there every day you're in a newsroom and something happens and you're like, whoa or you're you know oh my goodness you know what i mean like that never goes away so i think the day that we become cynical enough to not be shocked is the day we probably shouldn't be telling stories to the country or the world anymore because you have to have that human value otherwise we would not be we would not be reporting it very well it's a good point and totally unrelated. I just had on a school teacher who she used to make $47,000 as a school teacher. And now she made a million dollars on OnlyFans. I know this is a loaded question to ask at the end because this could be a whole episode in and of itself. But anything, Jake, that you learned from your documentary on OnlyFans? Yeah, that was um, OnlyFans Selling Sexy. We produced that a couple of years ago. Um, I I think like all the stories we do, it's a very human story. You meet people who work really, really hard and um, have these very full and diverse lives. Um, I think for me, we as a society and as a country have a lot of stigma around sex work. And so I think my hope is people, when they watch that documentary, realize there's a lot more um, than meets the eye. There's a lot there um, and that people work really hard and, you know, do what they can to to make it. Um, yeah, that was Talk a great one to do. I'm, I'm really proud of that one as well. That's like another example. You think it's one thing, but then you get going and it is a deeper story about stigma and who we judge and why we judge them and what, what that says about ourselves ultimately. I talk, about, talk about something that could be a massive series, right? Like Jake got in there and I think pretty early on and like, and then and, and just found a bunch of really interesting people and it just really humanizes people in a way that it's an incredible piece of work. I remember when when Jake was working on it and it was just like every day they came out and it would tell us something new. and We were like, oh, it's going to be amazing. And it really is. It's a great doc. I love it. Yes, I totally agree with everything you said about OnlyFans and society and 
how we judge people. Well, you guys will have to both come back when something else breaks or when The Housewife and The Hustler Part 3 comes out. You'll have to come back. It's okay. You don't have to commit to that here, but I'm just going to put it out into the universe. And everyone needs to watch this because it really was great. I mean, I think most of my audience, a lot of them have already watched it, but everyone who hasn't has to go watch this because it was phenomenal. Well, thank and feel you free to watch it again. Yes, that's right. Well, <laughs> let's watch it again. I mean, there's lots of people that haven't watched it yet, but it's trickling each day that goes on. People are like, wow, I just watched it. I'm like, so when this comes out, I think everyone's going to watch it. So thank you for this. It was so great. And thank you for taking your time to chat with me. Of course. Thank, thank you, you so much for having us. Come back anytime. Thank you guys so much. Bye. Thanks for listening to yet another episode of Behind the Velvet Rope. Because without you listeners, I would just be a crazy person with voices in my head. And if you like what you hear, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe on Apple Podcasts under Behind the Velvet Rope. And when you're done subscribing, feel free to leave a five-star write-up review because the write-up reviews actually count. We read each and every one of them. We post the best ones and the reviews really help our shows keep going. And we really appreciate everything you guys say, especially the positive ones. And if you want to find us online, we're at Behind Velvet Rope on Instagram. We are at David Yontef on Instagram. We're behind The Velvet Rope on Apple Podcasts. Or head on over to Patreon, because you know what? There are just some things we can't talk about here. So for our bonus episodes, go to Patreon and type in Behind the Velvet Rope. And if you still aren't sick of me and you want more David, go to Cameo and book me on Cameo. And you can ask me anything there. I'll answer whatever you want. And I have a bargain basement price of $10. Thank you guys. See you soon.